Welcome to the My Tribe Podcast. I'm Timmy Allen. This podcast, as you probably know, is dedicated to the people I know and love, and it's featuring the people I know and love. So this one is never about getting a big audience. This is about making big memories and learning big things from each other and just remembering the great times I've had with so many incredible people. So today's guest, man, it doesn't get much bigger than this for me. It's my dad. I couldn't be luckier to have the dad that I have. He is now 69 years old. He is in his 70th year and he is still, he always has been, and he is still such a big part of my life. Um, I'm blessed to live next door to him. We share a backyard. In many ways, we share a golden retriever, uh, but we certainly share a day-to-day family life as neighbors. You know, I'm lucky because he and I have many of the same interests And we also have many of the same outlooks and perspectives on life. And I like to think that's just a great coincidence. And I'm just lucky to have a dad that I'm so similar to. But I know that it's really that he raised me and I learned from him and I've watched him and I've emulated him and I've learned his passions and they've become mine. So I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. Um, I've really, really enjoyed watching him live his life in his 60s. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, You know, we could talk about any of a number of things, but this interview with my dad is focused on how he has decided to live his life in his 60s. There have been many ups and there have been some downs. And really, this interview is just about learning from him. What works in your 60s? What doesn't work in your 60s? And it's a very personal question. The 60s are different for everyone. But for me, like I said, knowing that I'm so similar to my dad, I'm excited in this podcast to learn what has worked for him in his 60s. And if I'm blessed enough to get to my 60s, uh, maybe this will be sort of a manual I can listen to as I start to turn the corner there. You know, after we turned off the microphone, he had brought a notebook with him like he often does. And there was definitely some notes in there. And as we were interviewing, he never really got to him, to be honest, which is unlike him. He just was so completely in the flow. He never even went to the things that he had written down. Um, and he did share with me afterwards that he had written down one quote from Glenn Hansard. He's an Irish musician um, that we both love. He discovered him, and I've, I've loved him ever since, and we have some pretty cool connections with him, especially through the Danny Sheehy movie and some other things. But he wrote down a quote from a Glenn Hansard song that he says has really driven him um, the last few years of his life, which is right here, right now. Uh, Many musicians have used that, of course, but it resonated the most for him with Glenn Hansard. So right here, right now. And I've decided that that's a pretty fitting title to this podcast. So without further ado, here's my dad talking about his 60s, living right here, right now. All right. Well, enough with the gushy intro. I am now here with my dad. Hi, dad. Hi, Timmy. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for joining me on My Tribe podcast. I'm glad to be here and glad to be part of your tribe. Well, um, as I've sort of said in the intro, but you know, you're 69 years old and um, you've accomplished a lot in your life and you continue to accomplish a lot on a daily basis. But I think it's more than just accomplishments. It's sort of just a way of living that I've always admired about you. And so I just, as you sort of round out the last year here of your 60s, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about about your 60s. So what has worked for you in your 60s? How has life changed? 
uh, sort of a little bit of a manual on how to live in your 60s. Um, so one thing that I want to just say up front is one thing I've always admired about you is your patience in terms of time. Um, so, you know, I've noticed during stressful life situations that you're patient when it comes to the time of the stressful life situation. So you, you at least externally, you're kind of okay with discomfort. And it always seems to me like you really understand deeply that in order to get through tough times or in order to get through discomfort, that the passing of time is part of the equation, that you have to, you can't fix things right away or you can't improve things right away, that you can do a lot to fix things, you can do a lot to improve things, but the passing of time is part of that equation to, to fix things. And I haven't always been that way myself personally. I've always wanted to be able to fix things right away and um, sort of get wrapped up if I can't. Um, so I just, I just wanted to put that out there because I think that's a cool theme that I've noticed about you in, in a way that you've lived. And I think that that has probably helped you live better in your 60s um, because although you're getting older, um, you seem to understand that passing of time is part of every equation and it's, it's, it's necessary. It's not something you can delay or avoid or ignore. So with all that said, as sort of a backdrop, I thought we might talk about your 60s. Okay, sounds good. Um, the first thing is career, right? So you've had, you have many, you've done many things along the way, but in your 60s, the entire time, you've done the same exact two things pretty much for a career. You've been a city councilor since I think when you were 58. Um, so you've done that right through your 60s. And now you've also been an adjunct professor this entire decade. And I know you've taken a lot of um, pleasure there as well. So what's it like being in your 60s and being in a career and, you know, kind of being in a new career, frankly? Well, it's been, uh, it's given me a lot of purpose. I believe in purpose anyway, that living day to day is fun and um, we should enjoy the sun and the moon and all the things that come with every day. But uh, purpose makes it even better. And uh, by getting these two new careers when I was 58, 59, um, they've brought purpose. They've helped to bring purpose. And they're both careers that I care deeply about. And um, I'm a, I, I don't consider it work when I'm working on them. It's very rarely is it work. It's things I want to do that people have allowed me to have the opportunity to do. Um, so um, that's that's probably the first thing I would say is that the purpose of having something that, to get up for every day and to care about when you get up for and that uh, the people have expectations of you. Some people at this stage are trying to get a, get rid of expectations, get rid of structure. And I found that um, that I like it. I like structure. I don't like a ton of structure, but I like the structure of having a job. And I like the structure of having a job that I like, that I can contribute either people's lives, the betterment of their lives, or the betterment of an entire city. Um, so on an individual basis with my students, on a citywide basis with the city council stuff. Um, so purpose is a, is a big part of my existence. Yeah, and I think it's cool how you said um you do you, you need the structure of work but you like to do stuff that doesn't feel like work so that seems different to me a lot of people in their 60s and 70s they don't even want any work right so they want to be completely free of purpose of structure um and i also think 
um, on purpose, you have figured out a way to do some different things at this stage of life, right? So it's not like you're in year 42 at Mass Mutual, right? Where you had a long, prosperous career, um, but you sort of entering your 60s completely did two new things. Um, and I just from afar, that's been, so not from afar, I live next door to you, but from close up, that's been fun to watch because, um, you know, I've just seen that you've still woken up every day wanting to do something. And I'm not surprised by how much, and you say this, which I think is cool about city council, which is you don't like politics, but you love government. Um, and so I think your, your purpose there in many ways has been to cut through the politics and to go issue at a time and do what's best for the city. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, equally, um, I'm equally invested in watching you with the, the college kids and how you've carved out such great re relationships with so many different students and how you've uh, really thrown yourself into everything you can in that business department at Springfield College. Uh, what is it you like most about the city council work? Well, the city council work is just, uh, I hope you asked me that same question about the college work coming up, but the city council work is its an opportunity to just really concretely give back to your city. And, and a lot of people say that, you know, I want to give back and all that. I'm not sure if you asked me 10 years ago what was my goal in my 60s, I would say I want to give back. But I always wanted to run for political office and once I got there, I, I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to do once I was there. I got elected that the first time. That was great. Um, but being there and lending um, my maturity, perspective, uh, ability to work on things, either on a macro level or on a detail level if I need to, uh, being actually a be to see how things happen behind the scenes and, and be able to cut out the politics and make it about government. Now, of course, politics is part of everybody's thing. And, and Bobby, when I say I don't like the term politician, my brother Bob said, whether you like it or not, people view you as a politician. And I, and I, I don't like it. I, I have the personality to be a decent politician if I want. But a politician implies that you're trying to get things for yourself. And a government official should be trying to do things for the public good. And that's to me, is a huge difference. And um, being decent politically gets you to that, but I want to leave that as soon as I can. Um, that you know, trying to you know be good with people and all that is great, but trying to get things for myself to position myself, um, I don't like that stuff. I, I like to be have it be straight transaction that the things I'm doing on the city council are for the public good, and that's the way it is. And I'm not thinking of what's good for me. Um, our community and all communities need good elected officials who care about doing things right so people have confidence in government. And what is it about being a professor? What drives you there? What do you like the best there? Well, there you have more of the personal relationships. I mean, I'm, grades are due tomorrow at 74 students. I got 73 grades in. And there's one student uh, who's had a rough semester, and I'm working with him. and. Uh, he's getting some work done uh, kind of late, but still in time. And uh, I like being able to give him confidence that people can believe in him, support him. And even when times are bad, to not just give up, but to keep at it. Just keep at it. Keep reaching out. Keep doing the right thing. And things will work out no matter who you are. Yeah, well, I can see that. And I hear that in the stories that you tell. Um, 
and uh, it's nice to see. I think it's a lesson for all of us that um, you still believe you believe in the relationships you're forging through the city council, and you believe in the relationships you're forging through being a professor, and all of the above lends to that purpose. Uh, so I've admired it, man. I've admired it. Um, let's let's stay on relationships. You know, um, friendships. I've watched you have, um, in some respects, many friendships over my 42 years of living close with you. Um, and in other respects, I've seen very consistent friendships and not a lot of major changes. Um, so it's 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 been a little bit of both. You know, you have your K. Fay and your Tracy, and you have the sort of the Tim Allen friendships that have been along for the entire time. Oh, and then you've had some that have been added along the way, of course. But friend, I would imagine that friendships in your 60s are different than friendships in your 30s or friendships in your 20s or friendships in your 40s. Um, so what have you found with your friendships at this point of life? I mean, there's a couple of ways to answer that. At their core, they're not different. At their core, it's about connecting and with someone, supporting someone who's been in your life or someone who's new to your life and offering them support and, and friendship as they're offering it back to you. That part's not different. What, what is a little different is the, is the direction that, every friend, uh, that your friends are taking at this stage. In, in your 30s and 40s, everybody's kind of on the same track. Get a decent career, maybe start a family, take care of your kids, put your own personal uh, desires that, are, that would be uh, in conflict with the family good, um, put them on, on hold, and, uh, you know, Go for the gold, go for the gusto from when you're 30 to 55 or whatever. What happens at this stage is people do, do different things. They drop out, they made enough money, they can live on their retirement, etc. Or some of them find new things to do, as I've kind of found some things to do. So the core of the friendship, the connection of people, relationships with people, um, is that does not change. That's, that's what makes me get up in the morning that's make, what makes you get up in the morning a lot of people get up in the morning of course we have things to do that aren't just about friendship but there's something about that human connection friendship um you know this morning at sacred heart church at nine o'clock um father farland was talking about the worth of every human being that was kind of the goal the worth and he said it, it's not about the sun and the moon and that sort of thing but he said it's about people it's about people and the worth and value of every human being. If you remember that, the other stuff's going to come and go. But um, if you remember that and try to live your life with that mattering to you, then another high to somebody might be the difference in their day being decent. Um, then, then, then give them the high and keep going. So what's the work in friendships in your 60s? Because you're right, people do start going in different directions. Uh, but one thing I've learned even just that in my 40s is friendships um, can happen without work, but they're better if you put in work. So what's the work in your 60s? How do you make sure that the friendships like stay as part of your life and or grow even more? Well, you're as good at that as anybody I know. So the work is putting effort in. And people have figured out a survival strategy by the time they're 55 or 58 or 60. 
And the survival strategy might be that they just do this, do the things that make them tick every day, that spend time on the things that matter to them, and they might not reach out and make and send that text or make that phone call. Uh, so the work is getting yourself to continue to do that, to realize that not only is it good for you to reach out to them and get a little response, but it's good for them to know someone reached out to them, and that is needed as much as ever. And as you're fading as you're, how do I say fading, is not the word I want, is as we're maturing or getting older or whatever, more people drop out. And I, I mean die. Um, and, you know, for me in the last six months, since July 12th or something was when I first started keeping score here, uh, I've had 16 people that I've known enough to go to their wake or funeral just die. And you realize the tenuousness of What's it gonna, are you going to see the sun tomorrow? And I don't mean that in a, in a depressing or morbid kind of way, but for some of these people, they didn't know they weren't going to see the sun tomorrow. Some of them had more warning. Um, so it's critical for all of us to be reaching out to people and giving them that connection back, um, or that connection, initiating a connection, so that people you care about uh, no, you care about them. You, you don't need to spend hours like you might have when you're growing up, hanging out and spending the night together and partying or socializing or whatever. People don't really need that much as much at this stage. But having the connection, the, the feeling of somebody calling you from you haven't heard from in a while, that's a beautiful feeling. And uh, effort is the main thing. And realizing the validity of your... What I tell my students is, you can make or break anybody's life here today. Not just the kids. And I said, if you, you can make someone stay, and they look at me across, I said, no, you can make someone stay. You can leave this classroom and tell someone in this classroom or someone in the hallway or someone in your dorm or someone in the cafeteria something that will make their day. You'll compliment them about how they did in class, how their hair looks, you know, what, what they did on the athletic field, whatever. You just find something to compliment them on. It'll, it'll take them several hours into the day because it was not solicited because it was just, hey man, that great job. You did great on that. Nice mm -hmm. going. It was fun to watch you do that. And I, that's the power we have with each other. Uh, and sometimes that power gets used in a negative way as our society turns a little more caustic, etc. in the last few years. But we got to get rid of that caustic stuff and, and reach out and say the good things so that people sail through the day a little easier. So one of the friendships, um, and we'll move on from this in a second, but one of the friendships that I think I've admired the most of yours along the way has been Kevin Fay. Um, and you guys have been friends since high school. You married sisters. I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast, none of this is new information. Um, but I think from my perspective, it's been cool to watch you and Kevin in a way um, and it's, I think the friendship most similar to it for me is with Nick. Um, but like something connected you guys early on. And, and then even as your lives have changed a hundred times, you're still deeply connected now. And I've seen moments in you and Kevin's friendship where, you know, the anchor of the friendship the last two years has been Amherst basketball, right? And we both love doing that and we do it and that's how we stay connected. And then I've seen other times where you, you, you guys don't have any common interest that is like in the field trip wheelhouse, you know, at least consistently. Um, 
but you guys have always like come back to each other as well as been there for each other. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I know there's not like some secret key. I know the answer is just effort and work and caring. Uh, but it's been cool to watch that friendship kind of always evolve, but then also always stay the same. Um, and uh, it's I think uh, it's a it's kudos to him as well um, for of course that relationship. Uh, He's been a friend since Honors English in the fall of 1967, <laughs> oh my God. which I had no business being in. He did a little better than me. Yeah. Um, but we sat diagonally from each other. Uh, yeah, I think one of the core things with Kevin um, is that we're so different from each other. Mm -hmm. A lot of friendships stay together because they're so alike and you can just kind of get together and watch a game or whatever. Kevin is... I can watch games with him, but he tapes games. Yeah. He doesn't watch games live. Yeah. Yesterday, when I talked with him, he said he didn't know the outcome of the Clemson-Ohio State game for Friday night. So that was like saying, don't tell me what happened in the game. Yeah. I understand the rules. I understand, and I appreciate his differences. He's so different from me that uh, it, we don't let it get in the way. I just celebrate his, his differences, you know, yeah. celebrate what he loves to do and who he is as a person. He's been a great friend for a long time. 50 four years yeah it's awesome that's great nick and i are creeping up we're at 37 but we still got a long way to go it's good um another another topic you just touched upon it but i've noticed especially in the last year or two that you've really like you said had to start to deal with the loss of what i would call contemporaries right like at some point in your life you stop going to funerals for mostly people older than you and you start having a lot of the funerals or wakes you go to be people your age, right? And I feel like you're starting to hit that time. Um, and, you know, we, we had to wait for you to get back from a wake to record this podcast and of a friend you care deeply about and were writing about last night when I stopped over your house. And then, of course, we shouldn't even have gone this far without saying the words Danny Sheehy. Um, but obviously, that was sort of... That was sort of the opposite of Kevin in that Danny Sheehy was a new friend, I believe in your 50s. Um, and We met when we were about 50. Yeah. So he was a new friend, and he was someone who your interests aligned. If not your lives were the same, your interests were very similar. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, that was... I don't know if that was the first loss of a contemporary for you. Of course, not the first, but that was the first big one from my perspective, and it and it has let you know. I it, it turns out that it wasn't an isolated incident. Unfortunately, you've lost some other friends since then. Um, I don't know if you'll even be able to say much about Danny, and there's not much. Uh, you've said a lot along the way, but you know, from me, from me, uh, I'll say three things. Number one. I really admired how you dove in head first into your relationship with Danny Sheehy. Some people won't dive in head first to a new friendship in their same area code. And you dove in head first to do a cross-Atlantic relationship. Um, and it was just like never even a question. You were always going to do whatever you could to get to know him better and to enjoy time together more. And he, I, it felt like he was exactly the same way. I don't know if he came this way quite as often as you went that way but he was always wanting you to go that way and welcoming. Uh, so number one, I just loved how you dove into that in your 50s. Um, number two, I think I've told you, I thought it was a big moment 
um, from my perspective when you went to his funeral. And it was a, that was a big moment in your 60s that I remember where you had to decide between something big on the city council or attending his funeral, uh, which was going to cost a ton of money, be a ton of travel. You know, it didn't make sense if you were going to use your brain to make a plan, but it made all the sense in the world if you were going to use your heart. Uh, and you went to the funeral, which I, I was happy you did and admired that decision. So I I definitely, that was number two. And number three is how even, and maybe this is something important for people to remember, but even after his passing, you you won't quit. And you've now developed this incredible friendship with Mora, his wife, um, and continually visit her, continually stay connected. Um, and so... I know that's a lot. You don't need to respond to all of that, but like, what has it been like, both in terms of losing Danny and just in terms of losing others? Because I think that's a big part of your sixties, at least the second half of your sixties, uh, and it's it can't be easy to deal with. Danny was uh, none of it's easy to deal with. Um, the connection with Danny came through Mora first, and then meeting Danny, her husband, and how she described him. Uh, when I asked her about him before I ever met him and how I found him to be um, was just um, he was just a, kind of a masterful human being in a way I, I mean we had we had such a spiritual connection with how we saw the world and supported people um, that I, I it was hard to describe a friendship with him at times I just hit octaves that I couldn't hit uh, necessarily I, with Kevin, I've certainly hit those octaves over time, and we've been together for so long. With Danny, we, we hit octaves that a chorus couldn't usually hit um, because you felt uh, the spiritual connection. Uh, he was truly an Anamkara, which is a soul friend. Anam is, um, is I can, Anam, I believe, is friend, and, and uh, Kara is, no, I mean, uh, Anam is soul, and uh, Kara is friend. Um, yeah, we just, uh, he was starting to write at a time I was writing. We took walks. Danny celebrated the craziest things. And um, uh, he wrote a book about a rock wall because he saw the life spirit. Uh, and, and he saw the way the workmen who had put this wall together, uh, how the wind hit them and all that sort of stuff that you would say, what is he talking about? With Danny, he didn't ask what he was talking about because he was so sincere about the life spirit that he saw in almost everything he did, that it was just uh, kind of amazing to be in his presence. Um, was he spiritual? Yeah, he was spiritual. Um, but the other part of him that people didn't realize that I think was his maybe his greatest quality was his encouragement of everyone he met. You could He, you, he could meet some great writer or government official for years, or he could meet Joe Schmo, who did normal day-to-day -day work and didn't have anything truly um, marvelous in some ways about his life. Um, and that guy would have something on his plan or something, some goal, and Danny would just tell him he was so sure he was going to accomplish that. That was just the greatest thing in, in history. And I loved how he just encouraged people constantly. Um, so anyway, he was a great friend. It was weird to have a friend you know, that you had to travel that far to see every year, but um, he was really a special guy, and uh, we took a lot of great trips together and did a lot of silly things together. Um, um, 
Well, one of the things I'll never, I'll always remember about him is that when you were in a group of three or four or five people or whatever, he would always make it special, like particularly with me because we had time, we, we connected like this. He'd always kind of say, let's, let's go, come on, let's go. Let's go uptown, let's go get a coffee or this or that. And uh, he'd always want to, he'd make you feel special, like as much as it was nice to be with everybody, let's kind of scoot away for an hour kind of thing. So, so uh, it made you feel like um, you mattered to him as much as he mattered to you. So you lost Danny, unfortunately, and that obviously the awful boating accident, and you've lost a bunch of other friends and contemporaries lately. So how do you deal with it? What do you do? Write about it a little bit. Write them down. All the people that, that, that have died this year, that since July when it started to happen, I've written all their names down. I've got cards or donations or things I plan to send. I haven't sent them yet because they come. there's no bad time to send a card. Uh, went to as many wakes and funerals as I could and try to figure out. For one thing it's done for me is, um, even though I've been going to church regularly for the last 30 years, 20, 30 years of my life, um, it's made me definitely more on a quest of, of spirituality and trying to figure out um, what's going to happen, what's going to happen when you die, what's going what's gonna to keep you alive, what's going to happen when you die. For the people that died in the last few months, we're 69, which is my age. And, um, you know, their, their lives ended at 69. Mine, I still hope, has... 31 years left in it, but I'd like to hit 100, but, um, you know, it, it, you don't control that. So uh, so that's what it's done. It's made me really think a little more deeply. It's made me, uh, I think there's a Springsteen quote, someone else that, that, that's made, meant more to me lately. Um, when, when I was 60, you guys did a t-shirt for me that said, it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. I love that. Uh, in that same song, Badlands is a is a a phrase or words that say, "Don't waste your time waiting." And those mean that means more to me than ever. Don't waste your time waiting. You want to write to somebody, write to them. Uh, you want to see a movie you never saw, go see it. You want to do some job that you always wanted to do but you couldn't, or take a little trip, or don't waste your time waiting. Um, do I? Do I like my quiet time on the couch where I'm not doing anything? Yeah, I don't consider that wasting my time waiting. Sometimes that's getting you back centered to where you can move on to your next uh, thing that's gonna that's gonna help define and bring meaning to your life. Um, so um, I think that's one of the things that's done for me is to put more um, uh, emphasis on that phrase, which other people have probably said it in different ways, but. Yeah. Um, that quote is resonating with me. Yeah, so I think we're going to have to do a separate Springsteen podcast at some time, at some point. We'll both do a lot of research and <laughs> soul-searching for that one. But um, I will say that one of the things I pull from that answer is sort of, um, it seems like when you've lost these friends and contemporaries, and it seems like sort of a theme already emerging, which is like you, you, you sort of believe in leaning into things, right? So a lot of people, when they start losing loved ones, get further from God. A lot of people, when they get in their 60s, get further from structure or purpose or work, right? And no judgment on either way. Um, 
but it seems like you're saying no as you've started to lose people you're not trying to avoid that you're trying to lean into it and you've it's made you more spiritual you're writing about it you're thinking about it um you're you know uh and i just think that's really um commendable and insightful frankly um and then another quote while we're at it that has certainly made me think of you um from springsteen is the song fade away where he just says i don't want to fade away and i think when he's saying it he's talking about love in a relationship but like i've always that song's always made me think of you and you're sort of like not wanting to fade away from life uh so you can throw that one on the ones that reminds me of you um yeah so all right you're kind of you're you're really good at this so you're giving me good segues so another sort of uh another topic i wanted to hit which you've probably already summed up pretty well, but is faith, which is, um, again, in your 60s, you've leaned into your faith and your practice of going to church. And um, you often go to church twice on Sundays, once at Sacred Heart, where we have Father Farland. You and I both agree the Michael Jordan, maybe we'll say for this podcast, the Bill Russell of, of uh, priests. Um, and you also are still loyal to our local Holy Cross. Um you know, and I'll say, um, you know, last week, a week ago today, you and I sat together in the pews at Sacred Heart at 9. Um, and today, uh, Mela and I didn't get to the 9, but we got to the 10.30 and probably sat in the same pew that you and I had been in last week. Um, so you and I think similarly about faith. Um, and I think you would agree that uh, we get to church partly because we want to hear what Farland has to say. And partly because we just want to make sure we're dedicating some time to actually practicing our faith, uh, putting it like putting in the work, right? That's sort of the work is getting to church. Um, so, how has that changed in your sixties, or how has that helped your sixties? It's um, it's uh, it's almost it's just part of my world. Um, when somebody asks me to stay over somewhere on a Saturday night, I'm like, God, I don't miss church if I do that. And I don't want that to be um, constraining me, but church has become, I set my clock by it a little bit. I, it's not just the spiritual message of Farland, and there's a couple other great priests who I put in the top tier with him, but his the, the specific thing about him is how real he is and how crystallized his message is. Not everybody else that I put in the same, I think a few other priests that I, put up high up but that part he, he just nails that part and uh, um, but I also church has become a social thing um, I have 30 friends at each place I go I have 30 friends at Sacred Heart 30 friends at Holy Cross I might be exaggerating I might be short but I look for them I say hi to them I it becomes I've made friendships that have existed outside of church as a result of that and some of the spirituality is seeing them. It's them. Because Farland will say, you see Christ in each other. That's where Christ is. You see it in each other. And I don't want to be overly religious on this, but it matters to me to see my friends. And, and to, that's a place where I know they're going to be. It's not random. Um, you know, sometimes they're not there, but um, and hang out with them and, and just get a chance to check in. And uh, that really matters. Um, the 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 faith part of it is just it it provides some continuousness, some continuity 
from my childhood till now. Uh, I think of my grandfather, who I went to Mass with for most of my early life, um, from probably age 5 to 18, until I went to college. And my mother, the three of us were regulars at 7 o'clock Mass. He would pick us up. So it brings me back to that. And when I go to visit him at the cemetery or my parents or something, I think of that. I think of the importance of always valuing the people you've been with and always remembering what you might have got from them mm-hmm. and, and not letting it go. Um, and, um, you know, so I'm happy when I arrive there. I'm happier when I arrive there before uh, Mass starts, which I've been trying to do. That's, that's one of my resolutions is to get to Mass on time because I got there on time today and they were singing Christmas carols. It was beautiful. It was a concert before the... Beautiful. So, you know, um, it helps to provide some continuity. I don't know if it provides meaning or reason or whatever. I guess it's all in there somewhere. Um, but what I've learned in is that nobody lives a perfect life, and everybody needs things to help them get through the day and through their life. And um, we all need to heal in some way. And, and um, for things that haven't gone right or things that we haven't done right, and uh, having the spiritual connection on Sunday mornings, not just the religious, but the spiritual connection on Sunday morning matters a lot to me. Yeah, and I wish I wish more of the world saw church the way you just said, which is because that's, I think, when church was probably at its at its best was it was sort of something you set your clock by during the week. It was something you went to with family members you were closest with. It was somewhere where you saw social friends and it became a social environment, and you got something good out of it from the priest, right? So you uh, you sort of are hitting all four metrics still. Religion would be a lot easier for people if that, if that was still working that way. Um, and I've certainly seen it work that way for you, and I admire it. Um, all right, so the next one is, is, is the easiest, but it's, uh, it's just family, right? So in, when you started your 60s, um, the year was 2011, right? Mm-hmm. So Mela wasn't yet, or Mela was two. 2000, no, Mela was four. Four, she was four. Mela was four. The little Tegan guy. Tegan was two. Cam was one and a half. Charlie and Ben weren't yet. Um, but how has that, how has that worked? You know, you now have a 13, 11, 10, 8 and 4 for grandkids and you're a major part of their lives week to week and day to day um, how does that feel in your 60s and what what's worked for you there well first off they're absolutely the best things in, in my life and uh, they're all beautiful kids they're all great in their own ways uh, and they bring joy in all different kinds of ways um, one of the things about that, that I struggle with is how much time and of my interest to give to them. Um, because I am a, in my 60s, but I still have my own interests. Mm-hmm. I haven't put the grandfather thing at the top where it's the main thing I do every day. And um, I sometimes, re- I don't know if I regret that. I don't regret it, but I wish I could figure out how to be more a part of their life when I'm not with them seven Seven twenty four seven. 24-7. I go to their games, I go over their houses and all that sort of thing. But I'm always looking for a better place to, for a way to improve that, where I get true hangout time with them, 
true time when I'm not just the the the, the uh, chauffeur. Mm-hmm. Although I love being the chauffeur, um, one of my favorite things. Um, no, it's 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 a joy to just see these beautiful young people who are direct descendants of the love of our family, etc. Um, um, I don't know, you know, I, I'm always thinking of ways I can honor them, write about them, be with them. Um, I'm just totally blessed to have these five beautiful kids. And um, they're all fun and unique and a blast in their own ways. Um, one of my struggles is for me to still be Tim Allen with almost blinders on doing these two things that he, that have become his career, but still not... Um, not I still want to do that, but I don't want it to be exclusive of spending, let uh, let my hair down and being with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, watching them evolve and mature into phenomenal human beings is just a blast. Um, and something some people never get a chance to do. And I've been honored with that. And the fact that you guys, you live next door, Mary Kate lives five miles away. I've kind of full and unfettered access to these kids, which is a, just a wonderful a, a wonderful link in the chain of having a full life. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, you've balanced not losing yourself while also being a great-grandfather extremely well, uh, meaning a very good grandfather extremely well. Um, and I think that, I think the world needs both right like I think the world needs some families need a grandfather who is just doing that right and then other families uh you know we we I think our family benefits from seeing adults that are fully invested in the kids and the family but also are still invested in their own lives and I'm guilty of it myself right so I do a lot of extra things that could be time with Malin Teagan that are instead extra things but I think I'm healthier for it and I think they see that and hopefully they learn from it because certainly I learned from that from you and mom growing up that you gotta you gotta be great parents but you gotta be great people to be great parents it doesn't work one without the other uh so for me it's um I could not to cut you off but for me it's I'm being a grandfather the same way my grandfather Peter F. Hogan was to me carbon copy yeah I mean, I do more stuff playing ball with the kids. If he didn't do that stuff, but he lived next door. He just went about his life. Yeah. He died when he was eighty-four, but he worked till he was eighty-four, running his business. And you just wanted to be with him. Yeah. Just wanted to be with him. Just like he, he would be a pain in the butt when he called on Saturday morning and say, "Can you give me the next eight hours to clean out the barn?" But at the end of the eight hours, you'd be like, "Man, that guy is so cool." Yeah. It was, such, yeah. It was so great to have that time with him. Um, so anyway, that's kind of how I'm doing it. I don't know if it's always best for the kids, but it's usually best for me. That's well, and you certainly got your buddy Tegan who will come over and help you with anything at your house happily. Right. And it's uh, she's, she's still got a few jobs ahead of her. She, I'm sure she does. <laughs> um, so another one of the th- topics uh, before we close out that I wanted to talk about, which is sort of personal passions, right? Because... You know, you, we talked about career and friendships and family and loss and faith. These are big topics, right? But you've still had to just maintain some 
personal interests and some personal passions in order to stay personally happy in your 60s, right? So, you know, the ones that strike me are, of course, music has always been your number one passion. And that's sucked for all of us the last 10 months as live music is gone. Um, but, um, you know, there's many ways that you've still kept that as part of your life, especially thank to you, thanks to YouTube. Uh, other quick ones that stood out are like 60 minutes. I would argue that's another thing you set your clock by uh, and, it, and it always makes you feel good. Um, and certainly you call your computer room now the cockpit where you run your life from. Um, and I, I think the world only knows, I think I'm the only one who has any comprehension of your ability to YouTube deep dive. And I think even I only have a minor comprehension relative to how deep you can get into a YouTube search and still be watching videos in that search. Um, I don't even know if you know that, that it's called a YouTube deep dive, but you are a YouTube deep diver. Um, I didn't know that wasn't what it was called. But. Yeah. So here's an example for the uh, people listening. But last week I called my dad to tell him Bill Simmons had Jackie McMullen and Bob Ryan on her on his podcast, and they were talking hoops. And I called, I pressed pause in the middle of the podcast and called him from the car because there was just this hilarious story about Bob Ryan who can't stand Carl Malone, and Bob Ryan, uh, Jackie said, tell him about the note. And so Bob Ryan proceeded to tell the listeners that when Carl Malone was more in the public eye um, and people would start to try to figure out where he stood in like the all-time great forwards, for, for years Bob Ryan carried around in his pocket a list of 15 forwards that he thought were better than Carl Malone. <laughs> and so I just thought that was the greatest because that meant Bob Ryan would grab like his keys, his wallet, and his Carl Malone list every day. Uh, to make sure. And the reason he had the list was in case anybody brought up the Carl Malone conversation, he wanted to be prepared because he couldn't stand Carl Malone that much. <laughs> so anyway, so I called you to tell you that story and you laughed and loved it. And then you said, yeah, but listen to what I just saw. And you told me that you had watched a 40 minute game show from 2011 in which <laughs> semi stars from the NBA players we're on some sort of game show where they had to do a draft of the greatest players of all time. And we don't need to get into the details of that. <laughs> but that the fact that you watched that for 40 minutes, I think, uh, says it all. But, but jokes aside, like, like you said, I think it's been important for you to have the, your time on your couch or important for you to have your time on YouTube or important for you to have your time playing CDs because those personal passions still have to be a foundation for personal well-being. So that's a big intro to just say, how do personal passions and interests play into your 60s? Well, it's I have the same ones I always had. It just seems like they don't go away. The Boston Celtics, people can talk about Michael Jordan all they want, but the life lessons of watching the Boston Celtics of the 60s for everybody who wants to see how to live your life and how to be humble and show humility and grace in how you play a, a sport together. There's no better lesson than, than watching those teams. And the emblems of that were Bill Russell and, and to some degree, Casey Jones, who just died, John Havlicek, who died earlier this year or a year and a half ago, Tommy Heinsohn. These guys 
Um, so th that was a passion then, and I was blessed to see them year in and year out playing basketball in the most unselfish way it could ever be played and, um, and winning as a result every year. Um, the personal passions that, um, you know, some with the Red Sox obviously overcoming the frustration of years of losing. Um, music, uh, those are my two favorite sports stories. I mean, I have plenty of other ones that can bring tears to my eyes, but those are my two favorites. And the Celtic one is just um, that there's a life lesson of watching the Boston Celtics of the 60s that can't be repeated anywhere else until um, you watch them. Um, and um, because it shows when you work together, when you are unselfish, when you are humble, when you look out for each other, when you do all the things that people teach you to do that don't always produce a great outcome. This time it did. Years at years at years after years of of finding a way to accomplish your goal in the face of great teams. Um, it was really something with that. But um, you know, Springsteen, Van Morrison, the band, music, my friends, um, those are a lot of the passions. Um, and you know, finding some people who who are emblematic of what you really re uh, what you really um, value in life, uh, as, as I think. So some of my passions are the same. Right now, uh, when I have the next three weeks before class, classes start, I want to pay more attention to African-American struggles. I want to like to put a little civil rights course together for our grandkids, for my grandkids. I love to teach them a little bit about the civil rights mu movement and some of the things that they should know. Uh, so they understand, you know, the difference in the lives of maybe their lives and a lot of other people's lives. Um, you know, so um, I'm going to be uh, in charge of, what am I going to be, chairperson of uh, the Elderly Affairs Committee for the City Council. And I, it's a committee that comes and goes. And I'm like, damn, I am 69. I'm I'm the right guy. You're the right guy. I'm the right guy. <laughs> and I, I, you know, so I hope we develop some programs or pay attention to the needs of elders in the in the next year. That becomes a project for me. And instead of um, instead of like saying I don't really want to do that, I'm leaning in. I'm like thinking, all right, what can I Google? What can we do to figure out something we can do that will make people's lives a little better in in that in that age. Um, so those are the, you know, poetry and writing. That's where I express myself. Um, I'm looking at a picture of my dad over there. And one of the things I've always wanted to do and haven't done, although I've written, I've written about people, I have his eulogy, I did his eulogy. So there's a story about him. But I wanted to develop kind of like a hall of fame of important people in my life where there was a photo album or a wall or something with the picture and the write-up of those people that... And you never get everybody because yeah, there's always you're always inventing new people who are phenomenal. But I got a treasure trove of a bunch of them, and I'd love to to have a picture and and a place of honor for for the people that have meant that much to me, and have exemplified. And my dad, not the deepest guy in the world, but absolutely loved every day he was alive. I mean, just uh, um, and got deeper as time passed. But he was just so much fun. And I'll never forget you calling him the coolest grandfather anybody could ever have. And he was, for, for what he was. And so what we learned from everybody, everybody brings something to the table. And everybody, I think that's one of the things I learned from the Springsteen and Van Morrison, particularly their, their music, 
It honors the common man so much. It exemplifies. It glorifies um, people who are working, uh, cleaning windows, working in the factory and trying to get through so they can go out at night. Uh, I, I love that, and I, and I think the theme of what I could do with that or want to do with that is to get pictures of the people in my life who have been there and, and write a little bit about them so that my kids, my grandkids um, can know um, what, what was it about him um, that, what was it about him? Was he just cool or what was it about him? Um, so to me, that's where I would like to put some time in the next three weeks and in the next few years. Um, um, I, one other thing I just, I had written down that, that I, as much as we, you know, Springsteen came up here a couple of times, Van Morrison a couple of times. I think this is something that I want to just say, the importance of healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G. Everyone here, everyone I know has to heal from something. And one of the most marvelous things I've found, I, I can't find a Springsteen song that's about healing, at least that he talks about it that way. I, I just couldn't locate it. But Van Morrison has three songs that have healing in the title. And I've learned a lot just by listening to those songs and for knowing that he wrote songs about people correcting, doing things better than they might have once done and facing up to it and doing it. And, and it's okay. It's not like a bad thing. It's not like, oh, hiding that you didn't do something right and, or treated somebody wrong, but that you heal, that you figure it out and go fix it. And um, I think that's the, the power of the human being to do whatever he wants to do, he or she, and to reach out to people that they might have been their close people or their not so close people um, to do the right thing by them, to do the right thing for them, and to lift them up. Um, I think uh, I think that's an important that that's what those three songs with the name. One of them is uh, um, called "The Healing Game." One of them is called "And Till the Healing Has Begun," and I. I'm, Forgetting the third one. Oh, did you get healed? The third one is, did you get healed? And um, I think that there's a lot that I get from his music that's different from Bruce's. It's more spiritual. And um, so anyway, just I wanted to get that out there and uh, say the most important thing, I think, is to celebrate each other and to support each other because there's not a person you know who's not facing some sort of struggle in every day they live in how they use their time and fixing their relationships and getting things done that they want to get done. So we all should reach out to each other. Yeah, well, I certainly see you do that. Um, and it makes me proud as a son. Um, and it helps me learn how to live my own life. Um, you know, in terms of the personal passions, like I think it's been similar to a lot of the things you've said, which is like, you've always had the ones that remain the same. You've always had the Kevin Faze, the Boston Celtics, um, but then you've also always had to, you've also always been open to new friends and, and starting and maintaining those and open to new interests. And some of your interests have come and gone and they've been, I don't I wouldn't say they all, they go, but they've come in strong, right? You collected toys and you know, you still do that a little bit, but for years you were like way in on that. And then the, obviously the bike collection, we had the bike show this year. Um, the civil rights stuff, um, which you've always had an interest in, but for a year or two there, especially around the trip, you dove way in on. Uh, but I just, I still think that's a lesson. I think that 
you just got to stay interested, right? Some people want to stay interesting. You can't really do that on purpose, but I think you can stay interested, uh, interested, and that's what you've done, or at least that's what I've watched you do uh, your whole life, but maybe especially in your 60s, um, as you've had more time for you than in a lot of the other decades um, leading into that. Um, so one more quick one, which I, I, said, I asked you before we started, because you said it last week and I thought it was interesting, and I don't know how much deep thought you'll have on it, but you said last week, as I mentioned this podcast idea, was one of the things you've started to notice is that it's not for you necessarily about getting things done that are on your quote-unquote bucket list. In some ways, it's about deciding what you're going to eliminate from your bucket list. And for someone like you who's still working, who has two deep purposes of work, who's got five grandkids he wants to be a big part of, who's living through COVID, by the way, which cuts a year or two off of some of the stuff you get to do for everybody. Um, but it seems like you've, you've actually started to give some thought to what do I stop holding out hope that I'm going to do or that is going to happen? And, 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 and by doing so, what freedom does that grant you or how does it bring you more personal comfort? So what did you mean by that? It's, at some point, you got to take some stuff off the bucket list. Yeah, I don't... I'm not sure that I have a true bucket list, but I still have a list of things I want to do. Is that a bucket list? I don't know. But at the at the same time, you realize, and this is a Kevin Fay approach to things, I'm turning 70 this year. Uh, how many more years can you take a viable, you know, trip that, you know, to a place you always want to go to? Um, and, I, you know, when I start adding up the trips that I think I would like to still take, including a, an annual trip to Ireland, um, you know, you just realize some stuff's not going to happen. I'm probably not going to travel to Asia. I'm probably not going to travel to South America. I could have said that a few years ago, not knowing that a Peru trip was going to be in there for a few days, and I did that. Um, but it, it's, it's beyond the list as much as more the mindset. Like... As much as you want to have the desire to still do things, and I have that desire, particularly with the careers and, and the family and the live music. I mean, I went to a concert the week before COVID shut down, March 6th. I was at a concert, and I haven't been at one since. Um, as much as you want to do the, you know, check off some of the things you like to do, some of it is just realizing you got to downshift once in a while. And um, downshift doesn't mean don't work as hard or try as hard or not, or not be as interested. Just means kind of like slow it down. I'm going to have to accept the fact that some stuff isn't just going to happen. Uh, just too many logistics working against it. Money, time, whatever. Um, and um, to, it, it's, I won't call it acceptance of a plight as much as acceptance of we're all going to not have, we're all going to, you know, my mother used to say, um, she always had a list of things she wanted to do every day. And I'm kind of like her. I always had a list of the things I want to do. And I'll, there'll always be stuff I want to do the next day, even the day I die. Um, but I think there's some grace in saying, I got all these incredible things in my life. If I don't get to go to Thailand, it's really gonna be okay yeah uh, watch it on youtube yeah as you said yeah yeah that's right you can deep, deep dive it <laughs> you can go a deep dive on youtube so it's not so much no bucket list 
it's more like just saying you can't it's not debits and credits it's just not debits and credits how many things that i get to do how much money did i make who cares really um of course you want to have a certain amount of money to do certain things but i'm not in any race on money i'm i'm got enough money to live my the life i want to live day to day and that's fine it's more like just knowing that we've all been pretty lucky we're all pretty lucky to be here able to visit with my son talking about these things um and proud of him for the things he's doing proud of my family for things they're doing it's okay to just say well that one's on the shelf you know maybe maybe it'll be a miracle to happen and i'll get to do that but i'm not i'm not i'm not aiming for it anymore i'm just going to sit back and and uh, kind of enjoy the things i do get to do um, because not everybody uh, gets to do uh, the things i get to do so all right so as i try to sum this up for myself and for anybody listening um you know one of the things to 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 draw an analogy or metaphor here one of the things you and i have always loved about bruce is that he's evolved right so he's not touring around playing the born in the usa album for the 18th time right every every segment for him Every segment of his musical career has been a little different, right? And the people that don't realize that, it's just because they stopped paying attention, right? And they just have put him in the Born in the USA bucket. But there hasn't been a single album like that since that one. Uh, and he has continually evolved from the moment he did Nebraska at a time where he didn't have to up until this latest album, which you and I agree is the best one in 20 years. Um, he, he has continually evolved in his art has matched his time of life, right? And for him, his art is music. Um, for you, I, I think you have two types of art from your son's perspective. One is your writing. That is certainly an art that you do. Um, and, uh, you know, your poetry is wonderful. Um, it's also personal. You, you don't, like, put it out there much. Um, but what, what I have seen is excellent and I know it matters to you and it, I know because it matters to me because I write uh, not as well, but I write for the same reasons. Um, so uh, not to take away from that part of your art, but like I would say what's, what's been cool for me to watch is each segment of your life, sort of how you live your life has been your artwork, right? And for me, the reason I wanted to do this podcast was in your 60s. You've lived it differently than in your 50s, than in your 40s. And I think you and I both have a deep admiration for those kind of traditional guys who can just be consistent throughout, you know, the three guys on the bench in Ireland. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think that what we picture when we see that is just this simplicity that they might live 50 years with that simplicity. Mm -hmm. And you and I ha have a deep admiration for that and want to learn from that. But we don't want to be that. You've never wanted to be that. You've wanted to be able to understand that. But you ha you've never wanted that simple, just straight through version. You've always evolved, much like Springsteen albums have always evolved. They couldn't be separate from where he was in his life. And the way you live has always been connected to where you are in your life. So um, I sort of knew that I saw that in you. And this conversation has only solidified that. Um, so love that about you. And so here, here's the here's the themes. 
So the 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 two theme the, there were three themes I kind of would have predicted, right? And those were certainly prevalent. Purpose. You've wanted your life to continue to have purpose in your 60s. You've wanted to continue to grow relationships and you know nurture relationships um, and work. Work has always mattered to you, um, and you've always admired that about especially your Hogan relatives, um, and you've maintained it yourself. You're 69, and you work like you're 49. Um, so I'm not surprised by purpose, relationships, and work mattering in your 60s. The, the themes I've added here, um, learning and lessons. It seems like you're still looking for places or trying to remember places that you've learned from or you've gotten lessons from and they still matter. So that seems important in your 60s. Honoring memories, you talked about that a few times just now in different ways. Uh, but it seems like you're not trying to give up what was before or forget, you're trying to find ways to honor. Some of even the memories all the way back to your grandfather and your mother. Um, a focus on healing. And I think I touched upon that a little bit in the very beginning when I said I've always admired your patience in terms of time and sort of understanding that time is in the equation when it comes to life. Um, so, you know, I think time is very related to healing as well. And so um, that is a cool theme that you brought up. I like the term downshift as needed because uh, you and I both need to remember that, right? Uh, you couldn't have said that so clearly at age 62. Right, I think you've learned now. Once in a while, I gotta just shut this down. Whatever that shutdown looks like, my body will tell me. Um, adding to purpose, it seems like you talked a lot about higher purpose and sort of understanding whatever your faith is, where your higher purpose is. Um, balance. You didn't say the word balance, but you're certainly always thinking about how do I balance what I want to do, what I want to do with my friends, what I want to do with my grandkids, what I want to do with the rest of the family, um, and. I've always thought the most important thing about living a balanced life is just thinking about it, right? And it seems that you do think about that. Where am I out of balance right now and how do I get back in balance? I loved how you talked about encouragement um, and how that's a big part of what you think. Um, your writing, of course. And you didn't say lean in, but I, I just sort of feel like a lot of what your 60s have been is, you know, that same exact thing that Ryan McCollum said about you a long time ago, that you just keep it real. I think you've leaned in to who you are in your 60s rather than leaning out. Uh, and so, so that's a lot of lessons, man. Uh, and um, I think you've, in many ways, developed some sort of manual here on how to live in your 60s. So anything else you want to add or anything well, else? I just, uh, it's not anything new, but leaning in, I think, is a big one. That's, I didn't say the words, you just said them. I always loved that book, you know, that the woman from Facebook wrote called Lean In. Mm -hmm. I, I just, the, the, the visual of leaning in is just so strong that to, to, to just lean into something you're interested in and lean in and don't be afraid of it, just lean into it. Um, I like the way you started. I mean, I, the, the fact that you said I'm patient and I, kind of understand that time is part of the healing process. That it's not just, there's no, there's not a lot of transactions that, that, that solve the meaning of life. There's relationships that can help solve the meaning of life. But there's not really a lot of transactions that can do it. You can put a Band-Aid on something, but you can't make the healing process go any faster. It takes time. Uh, and uh, I like that, the way you started that with understanding that certain things take time and, and healing is one of them. 
and time is part of it. It's not just can I beat time, it's can I accept time and grow with it and put my life or someone else's life help them put together what they need to put together or help me put together what I need to put together and understand that time is on my side. I'm not racing against time. Mm. You can't beat time. You, you can't win. So you may as well just figure it out how to, go, how to get along with it, get in a groove with it, speed up when you have to, slow down when you have to, but you're not winning. I don't mean that in a death way. I yeah. just mean time goes along and, and if your day is to get 12 things done on a list and you only get 10 of them done, I mean, you try your hardest for the last two, but sometimes they just got to go on the next day. Yeah. Uh, this has been great talking to you about this. It's great. It makes me think a little bit about uh, how I live my life and what I value and and where to where to try to lean into as I go forward. So that's good. So I'm going to end here with a quote from Danny Sheehy because I feel like we need one in this podcast. This is from In the Wake of St. Brendan from Dingle to Iceland. So this was when he was in a storm, all right? My heart should have been in my mouth and my body shaking with fear, but this was not so because I had in the forefront of my mind that long before I started on this voyage, I had decided to make the most of every single day. This grace had been granted me on the slopes of Holy Mount Brandon during the many small pilgrimages I made to its summit during the three months before the voyage. Now I felt anew the excitement of moving forward steadily on our voyage, refusing to turn back. That thought gave me hope and courage. You must have that and a desire for life to weather the storm and reach the destination. So I'm going to reread the last three sentences because they remind me a lot of you. Now I felt anew the excitement of moving forward steadily on our voyage, refusing to turn back. That thought gave me hope and courage. You must have that and a desire for life to weather the storm and reach your destination. So, man, I love you. I think you have certainly weathered the storm and are well on the way to reaching your destination. I hope we, no, I don't hope. we got to go to Ireland as soon as this thing is over. And I plan to record this same podcast January 3rd of your 79th year, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, we didn't talk about Ireland much in here. We, Danny, we kind of kind of came sideways in with Danny, but yeah, uh, that's another passion, obviously. But yeah. yeah, this has been great. Love you. Thanks for doing this. It's, it's really cool. Thanks for joining me, man. Talk to you soon. K-I-F. Ain't got no time for shucking and jiving. Uh. Keep it moving, yeah, yeah. Keep it moving, yeah, yeah. To the K-I-M. Keep it moving. True that, to the K-I-M. Ain't got no time for shucking and jiving. Uh.